Hello and welcome. You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on our magical journey through a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. All right. Back in the saddle again. Just that week a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Okay. It is GDC 2019. Google, on Tuesday, announced its plans to upend the $140 billion gaming industry dominated by Sony and Microsoft, with a new service many tech journalists are already calling, quote, the Netflix of gaming. Google Stadia allows people to play high-end games on any hardware, be it a desktop, laptop, or smartphone, without purchasing expensive consoles or computers. Google said this is a, quote, game platform for everyone. If you're wondering how that's possible, Evan, All of the legwork to render those games is done in Google's cloud, where normal game consoles are a controller, a box, and a screen, all connected by wires. The Stadia console is actually a series of high-capacity Google servers that use your browser as a screen and any compatible controller, no wires attached. Wow. That makes sense? Yeah, that's crazy. Google explained a bit about how it will work. The company said that if somebody's watching a video of a game on YouTube, they could hit a button that says play now and jump right in to playing the game themselves in as fast as five seconds. Wow. Today, gamers have to buy physical games or wait, often hours, for the game to download before they can play. Even then, they also need special hardware just to play those games. Yeah. Google said Stadia will launch in 2019, starting in the United States, Canada, and the UK, and quote, most of Europe. It didn't say how much games will cost, or how much the service will cost. Interesting. The company said Stadia will run on, quote, any screen type, but it will work on desktops, laptops, TVs, tablets, and phones at launch. There's no box at all. Wow. Yeah. It's, when they showed it at GDC in 2019, there was no, like, normally you have, like, the console and a controller on a little table. Yeah. It was just the controller, and everyone was like, ooh, Where's the box? Yeah. It's in a Google data center. Oh, man. Yeah. With Stadia, the data center is your platform, Google said. A gamer can start on one platform and then pick up where they left off on another device, which means that you might game on your computer, continue on your phone when you leave the house. Wow. Yeah. People will be able to play with a keyboard and mouse or a special Stadia controller that Google will sell. It has a capture button that lets people share their games right to YouTube so that other people can watch. It also has a Google Assistant button, which gives access to the microphone for speaking to in-game features that developers will be able to build into their games. It sounds a little bit too good to be true. Hmm. But we'll find out. I, I, Evan, I want you to take that, take that idea, put it in a little pocket. Okay. I got one of those. Google said it will support 4K games at 60 frames per second with HDR, but that, in the future, will support games up to 8K resolution. Jeez. Most people don't yet own 8K TVs. Yeah. And only the most recent gaming consoles from Microsoft and Sony currently even support 4K HDR gaming. God, Google, slow down. Graphics card giant AMD helps Google power Stadia's graphics and rendering in the cloud. Ooh. And, okay, the thing about the cloud is that when somebody says the cloud, all they mean is somebody else's servers. Right. It's just... Somebody else takes care of this. Yeah, whether it's Google or Dropbox or Facebook or whatever. It's it's usually either Google or Amazon, actually. Mm. Is that yeah. what the like the Amazon web hosting 
thing is... Amazon owns Oracle. Oh, okay. And Oracle is like the big web hosting thing. Right. Pretty sure Amazon owns Oracle. I don't know. I don't know. AMD shares were up about 7% on the news that it was partnering, partnering with Google on Stadia. Mm. Good deal for both of them. Yeah. Google needs game studios to build titles for Stadia. It says developers can build on its cloud or in their own studios. Id Software, of Doom and Wolfenstein fame, is already building Doom Eternal for Stadia and demoed it on stage. Another developer, Tequila Studios, showed its game Rhyme running on the platform. Google said more than 100 studios have already uh, been given development hardware. Wow. But beyond that, there weren't many major game titles announced for the system. Google's biggest challenge will be to convince publishers to bring blockbuster games to their platform. Hmm. One way it's going to try and solve that problem is by creating its own first-party game studio, called Stadia Games and Entertainment, which it will use to develop its own new games, and work with partner studios to bring new titles to the platform. Ambitious. Ambitious. One expert who spoke to CNBC said Microsoft is better poised to offer a streaming video game service, since it already has relationships with publishers in the space and a strong fan base of gamers who will buy its consoles. Microsoft's upcoming competitor is called xCloud. I mean, typical Microsoft being kind of weird at naming things. Yeah, it just sounds like an evil scientific corporation. <laughs> it's like that one from the Sky Mall, like Exhibit Corp. Exhibit Corp. <laughs> Quote, I'd favor Microsoft's chances, given it, it too has the scale and technology, but has been successfully engaged in the gaming industry via Windows and Xbox for over 30 years. Patrick Moorhead, president and principal analyst at Moore Insights and Strategy, told CNBC ahead of Google's event. Amazon is also reportedly building a cloud gaming service that could eventually run games like New World, which is developed by its in-house studio, but currently only works on PCs. Following the announcement, the general term among game journalists was one of weighty skepticism from Alex Walker for Kotaku. While people are still grappling with the technical ramifications of Google's Stadia platform, gamers have begun asking deeper, more troubling questions. Hmm. What do mods look like in a world of game streaming? What happens to game preservation? What happens if Google dwarfs gaming the same way it has with search browsers and advertising? And most worryingly of all, what happens if Google decides to walk away from the industry later on? In the immediate aftermath of the Google Stadia announcement, the public discourse largely centered on the technicalities. That was the part Google had provided the most detail on. So it was natural for people to focus on broadband connections, latency, and what is possible now versus what is possible in a few years. Right. There was a little bit of excitement mixed in with all of that. What's the gaming experience like when your connection is in the same room as the dedicated servers that you're playing on? What's the potential level of fidelity like when games aren't limited to the hardware in a single console or a single PC? Yeah. What experiences can you have when it's possible to develop a game that takes players across multiple screen formats? Right. That's exciting to think about, but there's no such thing as a free lunch especially with a company that wants to carve up a sizable chunk of the gaming pie for itself. Yeah. The biggest complaints or concerns against Stadia can be categorized into three broad aspects. The first is a backlash against Google itself, not Google the search engine, or the presence of a company the size of Google, or its parent company Alphabet, but rather concerned over how Google specifically operates as a business. Right, they do have a history of, you know abandoning projects very quickly hmm. that uh, don't work immediately hmm. or at the first sign of having to like go through regulation. Google has a history of launching and then abandoning products. <laughs> As we've seen on this podcast. Several times. Yeah. 
even ones that users really love. Yeah. There's Google+, the company's alternative to Facebook-style social offering that never really took off. There's offerings like Google Reader, which fans of RSS readers still miss today. Google Health, a service to broaden access to health and wellness information, was shut down in 2012 after, quote, not having the broad impact we hoped it would. Google's Orkut social networking service found some popularity overseas, but it didn't gain traction in the United States. So that it was killed off in 2014. Google's Allo messaging app was shut down this month. Didn't even know that was a thing. I had it installed on my phone when I first got it. Mm. And it's not there anymore. But it's not just virtual products that Google has a history of walking away from. (laughs) The most damning indictment of the company's attitude brought up in the past week was the rollout of Google Fiber in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville became the 12th city added to the Fiber project back in 2017, and the internet conglomerate quickly set about rearranging the city's infrastructure to offer gigabit speeds to its residents. But Google vastly underestimated the technical scope of the project. Yeah. The plan was to roll out Fiber using a series of shallow trenches, where Fiber was laid two inches beneath the side of the road and later covered with asphalt. The process caused massive disruption to the city's roads, since they they had to be torn up. Right. Worse still, the pits and asphalt were too thin resulting in the rubber patching in, and in some cases, exposing the cables and wiring. Okay, so I have Google Fiber, as Mm -hmm. you know, and it's great. I mean, it's... it's Gigabit internet. Yeah. But, so when I was, you know, like apartment hunting, I found this, you know, community, and I looked at the reviews. Terrible reviews. Mm. I started going through all the reviews. I was trying to see if it was a specific thing or a bunch of complaints. It was all about the noise of construction. Right. It was like every single bad review was like, this place is so loud. The construction doesn't stop. I can't sleep. I can't believe like the amount of disruption. So when I was actually like touring the place, I asked the leasing agent, like, what's up with all these bad reviews? Like, right. and she's like, it was Google. Like no. Google came in and just like ripped apart the roads oh to God. build this stuff. And like, and now this apartment complex has like, like two stars on uh, oh because God. of Google. Just because of Google Fiber, it just, like, made everyone mad and, like, like caused people to lose sleep. Do you think Do you think you got a better deal on the apartment because of that? I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, also because of COVID, but, right. like, oh, yeah. but that probably played a part in it, too. Well, thanks, Google. Thanks, Google. Google had to recover some affected areas with hot asphalt a second time. But that wasn't the only problem they faced. AT&T and Spectrum sued the conglomerate to block a city ordinance granting Google access to electricity poles in the city. AT&T owns most of the poles in the area, but the lawsuit was really just an attempt to stall Google's rollout, as evidenced by the company's refusal to challenge the judge's ruling. But the technical challenges proved too much, and after all the disruption, Google announced it was shutting down the Louisville project entirely, less than two years after signups began. The experiment hasn't been a total failure. Google's presence forced AT&T to roll out gigabit services faster than they would have ordinarily, but for residents who watched their city pass all the laws Google wanted, and then watched as Google tore up their streets and laid hot asphalt over everything to fix it, only to abandon the project and shut down the services altogether, it's a galling lack of respect. Yeah. Rightly so. People have questioned, what would happen if Google took the same approach with games? Yeah. Which feeds into the second major concern. Part of the reason why emulators are so revered is because they are the only way that some older titles can be played at all. 
Yeah. Video games are built on a long and great history of quirks and differences. Different games for different regions, titles being censored or banned outright in some regions, as well as what happens to a game during the localization process. In the modern era, that preservation problem has been less about functioning hardware and more about compatibility. There's plenty of modders and gamers who have found ways to get titles that used to run on Windows 95 or 98 playing just fine in 2019. GOG and Night Drive Studios are great examples of making a living doing precisely this. But have you ever tried to get a game that only ran on Windows 3.11 going? And that's just the compatibility problems. Archivists also have to deal with the degradation of physical media, a cartridge that will no longer work after 15 or 20 years, mm. magnetic media that becomes disoriented over time, essential data stored on uh, EPROMs that eventually becomes tr completely unreadable. Preserving these games is only possible because gamers have access to the original files, either through physical means or by way of being able to download them locally in the first place. Years of neglect are eroding gaming history. Cartridges rot in garages, companies hoard demos that they will never release, and obscure titles fade into the ether. Some games may even be lost forever. Cloud gaming does away with that process entirely. It's part of why cloud gaming has any appeal at all. By not having to download and install tens of gigs worth of assets, you're cutting out all kinds of loading and downloading that gets in the way of playing the actual video game. But it also means you're entirely reliant on servers for that game, or the platform holders that offer them. Being online forever. Right. And that's never, ever the case. Even when communities have tried to keep older games online, they can run afoul of license holders and copyright issues. But at least fans can try to keep a game alive. With cloud gaming, that is simply not possible. Right, it's completely up to Google. Yeah, they own it. They completely control your access to it. And they can right. revoke it at any time. Now that might not matter a great deal for games that are being offered via traditional local storage mediums. In the interim, things like the next Assassin's Creed, the next Fallout, Battlefield 6, or whatever the next AAA game is will be available like that. You'll be able to buy them digitally, or on a disc, just like always. Hmm. But what happens when games are designed solely around the idea of a cloud service, like the platform exclusives that Google is funding? And what happens to the future of mods? Some of the greatest games today exist exclusively as the result of mods. Team Fortress 2, which went on to inspire Overwatch. Counter-Strike, which the foundations of esports in the West were built on, was born out of a Half-Life mod. And even the way that games have been improved or overhauled through the tireless work of fans, as seen in the Fallout and Skyrim communities. Do developers have to build new systems and models to make existing mods playable in a cloud gaming context? Do new editors have to be made for people to access the files? Or does that functionality disappear altogether? The size of the global gaming market is part of the appeal for Google, although that's also another bruising reality. There's little to no money in preserving older games, let alone the effort spent to make them compatible on modern systems. Part of Google Stadia's pitch wasn't just to eliminate the frustrations for gamers, but also the technical limitations of existing hardware that frustrates developers. Preserving any of these games will not make Google money. Exactly. It's not in their interest at all. They actively have financial interest to revoke your access to these games whenever it suits them. Right, which is a little scary. Take the idea of elastic compute. Instead of relying on the power of a single console, developers building for Stadia could design around combining multiple data centers, PCs, allowing games to run at even higher resolutions, 
with even more fidelity, able to populate in-game worlds with more people, more things to do, and just more stuff. That's enticing, because existing hardware will only take you so far before you run into the litany of performance problems. It might be the lower-powered CPUs and consoles that make it difficult to calculate the movement of too many NPCs in a given stage, right. or memory limitations that affect how much data a client can buffer and stream at any given moment. But how do you keep a game alive that was never designed to exist outside of a data center? Nobody can answer that. You're paying for access, not a product. Should that company decide your money is no longer worthwhile, there's bugger all you can do about it. And the same applies for pricing, and access, more generally. Australians might have access to a wealth of gaming platforms, and there's competition on the horizon for cloud gaming too. But in emerging countries and continents, where modern gaming has failed to penetrate due to a myriad of issues, socioeconomic, infrastructural, shipping, supplying, or hardware, that choice might not be available. What happens in those places when there's no one to stop Google from upping prices? The third and most instant backwash to Stadia was the technical possibility, as in whether Stadia would function at all. Yeah, that's a big one. A lot of that conversation was dominated by the here and now. Some Australians have rightly pointed out that the spotty, broken rollout of the NBN means a service like Stadia is vastly less enticing than it should be. But the majority of criticism actually came from Americans. Google might have all the data centers, cloud platforms, and internal infrastructure throughout the U.S., but the quality of internet service from state to state is shockingly unreliable. God. So much so that it's not unreasonable to argue that Australia has better internet on the whole than the continental U.S. Wow. Google Stadia's chief, Phil Harrison, told Kotaku that only 30 megabits per second is required for streaming 4K content, with the 1080p slash 60fps stream for Assassin's Creed Odyssey needing only 15 megabits per second, although 25 megabits per second was recommended. If you consider that most Australians tend to stream content at 720p or on smaller devices where the trade-off of lower resolutions is more acceptable, it's not unreasonable to think that, as of today, a solid chunk of the Australian diaspora would be capable of enjoying a smooth Google Stadia stream right now. There's the rollout of the 5G network to consider as well, the advancement of the NBN, and what happens with future compression technologies and next-gen video encoders. Newer encoders offer better quality at lower bit rates, meaning users don't have to stream as much data to get the same quality picture. But even if we make some concessions for the practical bandwidth requirements, there's still the latency problem. Yeah. Now strap in gamers, we're getting into the technical details here. Click. John Carmack, basically, do you know who John Carmack is? No. He is the guy that made Doom, the original Doom, the first 3D video game. Like, getting a 3D game to run on the operating system that Carmack got it to run on is an achievement on par with, like, the Copernican model of the solar system. Right. It is genuinely a transcendently brilliant thing. Right. John Carmack is the guy that invented graphics programming. Right. He is genuinely a genius. Yeah. John Carmack's quip this week about gamers playing with unoptimized TVs is interesting as a reminder. Gaming is the world's largest entertainment medium, and while there is a huge subsection that cares extraordinarily deeply about the smoothness and technical precision of some games, there are plenty of people out there who really, truly don't give a shit. Right. 
there is a point where some lag becomes unplayable. And what that window looks like varies enormously for different games. Narrative adventures or episodic titles like Life is Strange should have no qualms running on any service, as long as the video quality is sufficient and the delay isn't tectonic. Right. Most people will be happy. But the whole Stadia project isn't designed just to bring single-player games to the world. It's an extension of the largest source of content creation on YouTube, gaming. Right and the community that exists within that. So the real test of whether Stadia works depends on how much Google can minimize the latency in multiplayer games. Because mm. remember earlier, one of the big selling points was the idea to like roll up on YouTube, see one of your favorite Let's Players playing a game, right? and then you can press a button on your Stadia and you can jump in the fucking game. Right, which is crazy. If it worked... That would be so fucking cool yeah. if it worked. Yeah. Some of those games have very, very small margins for error when it comes to latency. Right. Fighting games are a great example. A lot of these games have extremely tiny response windows. Take the simple parry technique, a motion introduced in Street Fighter 3 that required pinpoint timing. It's not just a neat feature, but a measure of skill that also happens to be central to one of the greatest and most iconic moments in gaming history. And they sh in the article he posts the video of the Diago parry, which... If you've never seen that, I'm I will link it in whatever you are listening like listening to this on. It's even if you know nothing about Street Fighter, it is one of the coolest things to ever happen in a video game. Was it like a uh, competitive thing that happened? It was it was a competitive match where basically like so to, parrying in Street Fighter is it, it's what's referred to as double frame perfect. Mm. Like you have to press the button on the exact frame that the enemy's move connects with you and you have to release the button the, the you have to release the button on the the frame that it uh like the very next frame right right you have to do both of those things or the parry doesn't work right and basically like it's the the, the diago parry is basically a professional street fighter player with basically one one little notch of health left um, perfectly parrying the fastest and most difficult attack to parry in the game. Right. Which, even at, like, a global professional level, is something that is considered, like, nearly impossible to right. do. <clears throat> the average reaction time for most humans is between 210 milliseconds to 250 milliseconds for a visual prompt, uh, around 170 milliseconds for an audio cue, and a little less than that for physical stimuli. When you factor in the time, Somebody has to respond against the lag between a button press and the action being recorded, along with the display lag and other associated delay. It's a bloody small window. Yeah. Initial tests from Eurogamer found that Google Stadia had around 100, 166 milliseconds of lag, with display and Wi-Fi connection delay included. Mm -hmm. So human reaction time is like at max 250. Stadia has an average of 160 milliseconds. So is that good or bad? That is bad. Okay. That is... That is like to the point where you will be, you will basically be lagging a full 60th of a second behind the game. So that's like the difference between winning or losing a match. Yes. And so that basically means that you are, you will be effectively unable to perform frame perfect inputs. Right. Of course, if anyone can make it work, it's Google. Or Microsoft. The biggest downfall for cloud gaming services in the past has always been infrastructure, which is the biggest component in making a service like this work. Right. The streaming element is a problem that's already been solved. Some gamers are saying the input lag is the biggest problem facing Stadia, and while it's certainly a huge challenge, it's worth remembering that reducing lag was a problem that developers and game programmers were finding ways to solve way back in the 80s and 90s. 
as most devs well that's a and that's a little disingenuous mm. like yes they were trying to solve lag back in the 80s and 90s but it was the game was being run natively they weren't streaming the entire fucking game right with multiple players right. at once and trying like just trying to sync one server with like a group of people playing a game natively yeah that's already very hard and spotty right as more devs shift their focus or start investigating the cloud gaming experience for themselves which a company the size of google will generally encourage more solutions will be found to reduce response time and input lag across multiple devices it's also worth remembering that stadia doesn't have to solve all of these problems companies are excited for cloud gaming precisely for its potential to expand the current gaming market, not necessarily for its potential to subsume the existing audience. There are plenty of emerging markets that can't enjoy gaming today due to the cost of consoles, TVs, gaming PCs, and associated peripherals. And for those markets, the ability to stream something through a low- or mid-range phone, relying exclusively on their mobile connection, opens up a whole new world. Mm. There are hundreds of millions, if not billions of people in situations just like those. And a lot of those, and a lot of the discussion around Stadia has left them feeling out of the loop entirely. But that doesn't mean Stadia is a service that should be welcomed with open arms. Google doesn't need to convince people that Stadia can work. It needs to convince gamers that it will stick around for the long haul. Google's handling of the shifting trends on YouTube certainly hasn't engendered a lot of faith. (laughs) And it's natural for people to be concerned about what the gaming market looks like after a conglomerate the size of Google starts throwing its weight around. Google hasn't allayed those fears just yet. And until they do, expect the backlash to continue. Right. Okay. So, during the beta, the service received generally positive initial impressions from reviewers, who felt it met, in some instances, exceeding expectations and could make game streaming uh, appear as a potentially viable alternative to PC gaming. However, some minor discrepancies and technical issues were nonetheless noted. Reviewers reported that the streaming service had low latency and felt as if the game was being played locally. Despite this, depending on Wi-Fi speeds, the game sometimes compressed its screen, resolu- its screen resolution or lagged. A test by The Verge found no lag issues over a wired Ethernet connection and occasionally s- and occasional stuttering on a shared Wi-Fi connection. However, even on a wired connection, the stream did not output at 4K resolution, and occasionally went fuzzy with compression artifacting, like it deep-fried. It's always fun. The reviewer reported the best experience on Google's Chromebook Pixel. Polygon found the service's audio compression noticeable. Ars Technica remarked that the project, uh, the project Steam's login sequence was far simpler than that of other services. Digital Foundry performed a hands-on with Assassin's Creed Odyssey on a Pixelbook for the service in beta and found that on the testing environment, latency seemed acceptable, but there was a noticeable visual hit. They also remarked that Assassin's Creed Odyssey was not the best example for testing, as it was already a natively laggy game, because Ubisoft is bad at coding. Go on. Yeah, are you going to stick up for Ubisoft? I don't know. Maybe they're good guys. No, they're an incredibly scummy company. People hate Ubisoft. I'm going to stick up for them. (laughs) Keep going. Keep following your dreams, guys. All right. So, that was a lot of preamble. Yeah. That was a lot of technobabble, but I I hope you, audience, have at least a good idea of what how this is supposed to work, what the dangers are, and like just the sort of general vibe. One thing I found that was really interesting is what you said about it, you know, purporting to be the Netflix of gaming and how that ties into the whole cloud-based, you know, assets issue. Because that's the whole problem with streaming. Netflix can pull your favorite movie at any time. Mm -hmm. You don't own anything. 
you're relying on Netflix to tell you what you're allowed to watch constantly. And that's why people pirate things. Right. So they can own the actual files. And Netflix can, you know, like, our license ran up for, you know, the Big Lebowski. Sorry, you can't watch that movie no right. more. And it's like you're you're surrendering your control of these assets entirely to the whims and the business models of these giant tech companies. Right. And that's scary to me. Right. You know? No, you should. You should own that. You should own those things. Exactly. Like, own your favorite movie, okay? <laughs> Don't let Netflix take it away from you. Right. Well, it's it, it's like the whole thing about, um, like, nobody actually owns a Ferrari. Mm. Or, uh, no, it's not. It's Lamborghini. No, Nobody actually owns a Lamborghini. Interesting. Lamborghini leases you their cars. They're right. all the property of the company. Right. And so they do that to control their brand image. Like, you can't modify a Lamborghini to do too, anything too fucky. Anything that might compromise their image. Yeah. All right. So now we get to the juicy part. Okay. Let's talk about how Stadia was uh, received on its release. Okay. <clears throat> Metacritic lists zero extremely positive reviews, eight positive reviews, 29 mixed reviews, and 14 negative reviews. Stadia received largely mixed reviews. Wired Magazine described the image quality as drab, but admitted to preferring to play Destiny 2 on a Chromebook instead of a larger gaming laptop. VentureBeat criticized the service's pricing model, comparing it unfavorably to subscription services such as Xbox Game Pass, and claiming that Stadia, quote, doesn't matter. Oh man, that's mean. You're nothing. <laughs> You'll never be anything. Digital Foundry found that the service was not playing all games at 4K resolutions. Red Dead Redemption 2 was found to only run at 144p. Or, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, 1440p. Okay. 144p. (laughs) I can kind of see what's going on. That's, like, 144p is, like, a Game Boy Color. (laughs) Yeah. That's, like, uh, YouTube day one. Not, like, literally not even that. It's... Well, what was YouTube? Was it 240p? 240p. I remember that used to be... 144p is half that. Okay, yeah. So it's half of YouTube day one. Yeah. Destiny 2 ran at only 1080p, albeit at a frame rate higher than that of the console versions. And, like, it goes on. Yeah. Ars Technica concluded, quote, Early adopters feel like they're getting a beta product here. Wait until the next year to see if Google can work out the kinks and prove the service's longevity. What did you say earlier, Evan, about uh, Google releasing things before they're ready? Well, remember the whole Google Glass thing? Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I'm reminded of that story. Hmm. Hey, remember when Google re- released the Google barge and it didn't have fucking fire extinguishers? If there's a fire, well, you know, there's a bunch of water. Just jump in, guys. What's the dumb, fucking problem, you idiots? You dumb morons. Jump in the water and you won't be on fire no more. Towards the end of January 2020, Stadia users expressed concern about Google's non-communicative stance on Stadia. Outside of its monthly, f- monthly free game editions, these users were concerned about planned features that were to be available in the next month from Google's initial timeline, but have yet been discussed further. Such as 4K streaming resolution support, a Google community manager has been following these discussions and expressed sympathy (laughs) that users have been waiting for information and stated that there is news that they could not yet discuss, but will be able to soon. Big things are coming. Big things are coming. Google responded by pointing users to its Stadia community site, where it was providing weekly updates on the progress of Stadia's features, and that, in terms of future games, they mostly had left it to publishers to announce when these games would be available on Stadia. Remember that for later. Okay. And uh, remember in the Google Glass episode where they had, like, that whole, like, 
society of beta te- of like beta users that they just treated like shit. What are they called? Oh, the Google Explorers. Yeah, the Google Explorers. Well, get ready to explore again, my guys. So what happened? Oh, why, like, why did this fail? Well, I've never heard of it, so hmm. <laughs> I'm assuming not great things. This is from a fantastic article by uh, A. Khaled for Medium, titled, Google Stadia will be a resounding failure. The FCC made sure of it. Oh, God. The FCC's getting involved. <sighs> this, this ties into a lot of interesting stuff here. Okay. <clears throat> there are not enough words in my vocabulary to express how skeptical I've been towards Google's advances for gaming prior and after the announcement of Stadia. It's got a stench all too familiar of loss and a rush towards a trend that may not be all that successful after all. And there's reason to believe Google won't be the one to break the curse of cloud gaming as it so wishes to do. Mm. Latency won't be the only issue Google has to reckon with. The way we consume video games has to radically alter shape within the remainder of the months of the year, something that has very little chance to occur. Yeah. In what way, you might ask, Evan? I I was about to ask that. (laughs) Well... In the way that Google expects you to impulsively buy-slash-rent a game after watching a trailer and is capitalizing on the success of its video platform and potency of its streaming efforts to ease up the transition. Mm. If I've seen any premature signs of success, they must reside more on the Microsoft side after we've seen the company has been able to do with livestream delivery over on Mixer. The feedback is almost instantaneous, and their low-latency mode is pretty much the industry standard. So... Remember that Microsoft competitor to Stadia? Yeah. Uh, xCloud? Right. Well, it's called Mixer now. Okay. And it's great. Oh. It has none of the problems that Stadia does. Wow. Yeah. Microsoft cracked it. Yeah. Cool. Like, apparently it's still, like, it's still sort of a niche thing. They're not releasing it super widely. Mm. But it's like, it has literally none of the problems that Stadia has. (laughs) Right. It's like, guys, we figured it out. If things are shaking up to be even the slightest bit ambitious on the host side... Microsoft has a lot more to show. Hmm. Google, on the other hand, have been riding high on the, on the success of the heavily curated trial of Project Stream, and if they're not careful enough, they might bite more than they can chew, and will be subsequently unable to deliver the service at the volume they're predicting. Yeah. They're not going to be able to feed us little baby birds. They won't need any regular cloud infrastructure. It'll have to provide ample processing room with their newly acquired hardware to support the potential millions of customers at once. God. We've no assurance that this will occur without hiccups, and the industry's track record isn't exactly flush with great examples pointing to the contrary. Mm. The issues aren't strictly logistical. The calculus of relying on infrastructure to improve in a timely manner is an already lost one. Mm -hmm. Basically, Google is... Definitely, it's them and Amazon for being the world leaders of having just raw server space. Yeah. If anyone could do this, it would be Google to do it on a large scale. But with the numbers that Google was giving, even their plethora of data centers is not going to be able to cover Stadia. Right. And that's saying something. And so they were, Google's response was basically, don't worry about it. By the time that becomes a problem, we'll have built more data centers. I guess that's true. And um, like, and not only will we have built more data centers, but um, like the world will just become generally faster with the internet and whatnot. Like internet infrastructure will just sort of become faster. I guess. At the tail end of 2018, which in the grand scheme of things is an eternity ago, the FCC chair Ajit Pai 
revealed a widely controversial plan, which failed, to redefine broadband in lesser terms so that more areas in the U.S. are considered having retroactively better internet coverage. This kind of pro-teleco anti-consumer behavior has been to the tune to which Ajit sung, since he assumed the FCC responsibilities from the comparatively more competent, but not any less repugnant, Tom Wheeler. I love the scorn that this author has for- Isn't this the dude that, like, got rid of net neutrality? Yes. Okay. Or, yeah. But yes, it's that dickhead. Yes. No, no, no. The FCC has shown no commitment to hold telecom- to hold telecom providers to account. And they're certainly not achieved- and they've certainly not achieved that with their repeal of net neutrality as House Democrats scrambled to restore Obama-era regulations, setting them back to square one. Good job, guys. Nailed it. When the legislators and lawmakers of the country Google is expected to yield the largest clientele of its game streaming service from aren't that concealed about the well-being of the internet as an open platform where every piece of information's traversal is to be treated agnostically. How can we expect them to push for increased competition, fiber installation lines, or even improved speeds and the elimination of data caps? Telecom providers have shown no real will to advance these issues. Yeah. And Google is sure to lose the fight with the Trump administration if their entire goal is to employ this service and have consumers possess the infrastructure necessary to use it in a way as not to make it completely useless. So Google basically placed all of their chips on this like advanced internet infrastructure that there was no fucking way yeah. would ever happen. Right. In the time, like especially not in the time frame they were talking about. Yeah, when the FCC's, you know... Against them. Yes. Yeah. Act like actively opposed. Right. Google can try to expand its fiber program all at once. The fact of the matter is, most US households are left with what is considered an abysmal internet connection by all modern standards. If Google Stadia is to succeed, they'll either have to enter the race to the fastest na national provider of internet connectivity themselves, or they'll have to campaign much harder for telecom's firm grip on internet laws to be loosened. So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. You either become the you either become the biggest telecom provider or you become a lobbyist. Yeah, exactly. Beyond what is the most obvious in that case, there will not only be the infrastructure hell to pay, the public has to be equally willing to let go of Phil Harrison's legacy as a snake oil seller back when he was still working at Sony. Okay. Didn't know that, but <laughs> would have been good to know that. If anyone remembers, the E3 2005 reveal of the PlayStation 3 was marked by wild proclamations on the part of Sony that the IBM cell would come to fully change the way in which games are made and consumed, in a pitch shockingly similar to that of Google's. Hmm. Players were promised the world, a wide departure from the promise of Toy, of toy Story level of graphics on the PS2. It seemed realistic at first, but no one truly knew the magnitude of the lies being delivered on stage until E3 of the next year rolled around, hmm. and Sony had nothing but full HD support of Gran Torino 4, and many pre-rendered trailers, a ludicrous six-axis demo, and a plethora of forgettable fixtures. So that was the, the guy that announced all that. Same guy that announced Stadia. Let's give him another chance. Hmm. Maybe he won't lie this time. Ever since the fraudulent PS3 reveal, the gaming industry has been struggling since to meet increased demands of better-looking games and gameplay systems ever so complex. But as we continue to count the tally, we realize that very few products have been able to aptly deliver. Yeah. 
most, game, most of gaming history's biggest controversies have been predicated on the infamous word that has become the term downgrade. And if Google Stadia is anything short of 4K 60fps Marvel Google keeps promising, there'll be a lot more to make up for, and potentially the entire product's life will yeah. be at stake. I don't condone much of the toxicity in the gaming community, but I'll have to wonder if a slap on the wrist is the only way that Google will stop pursuing the impossible and will just settle for building a custom PCB and selling it to the masses while supplementing a far cheaper effort in becoming a storefront for digital games and tighter integration with Google services. What we will get on offer, however, is the faint promise of a future only those rich and privileged will be a part of. Mm. If none noticed, Google Stadia will be not anywhere near Asia, Africa, Latin America, or Mexico on its first days. Phil Harrison said in an interview with Kotaku's Jason Schreier and Maddie Myers, quote, Stadia is the plural of stadium. And he further expounded on Google's commitment to unite gamers under one banner. That banner, for the time being, looks awfully white, not only in chosen demographics, but also the racial makeup of upper middle class neighborhoods. That's where Google will draw the whitest rift. And it's one they'll have to close if they proclaim to be even half as inclusive as they currently are. Hmm. So basically, Google Stadia, unless you have, like, Google Fiber Gigabit Internet, just yeah. doesn't fucking work. And right. even with Google Fiber Gigabit Internet, it's still choppy. Yeah, and there's not very many communities with Google Fiber. Right. Like, I think it's still in the double digits. It's very rare. Yeah. Four months after Stadia's launch, the service is still extremely light on games. Just 28 titles are available as of this week. Hmm. Google says another 120 games are scheduled to hit Stadia this year. <laughs> Quibi style. Quibi style. We got a thousand uh, games coming. Oh, yeah, we got a thousand games coming, and then we have 2,000 games coming next. <laughs> so, it's like an but, eight-year-old lying about like how many game consoles he has. I have, the, I have the PlayStation 12. Yeah, I got all of them. Google says another 120 games are scheduled to hit Stadia this year, including some big upcoming blockbusters like Doom Eternal and Cyberpunk 2077. Mm. But where are the dozens of indie hits that helped bolster the libraries of Sony's PlayStation 4, Microsoft's Xbox One, and Nintendo's Switch? Where are the games like Bloodstained, Shovel Knight, Dead Cells, and Untitled Goose Game, the blockbuster indie games that sell millions of copies and inspire sequels? These games have become critical to the success of any new game platform. Yet, of the 28 games still currently available on Stadia, just four fall into the indie category. Quote, We were approached by the Stadia team, one prominent indie developer told me. Usually with that kind of thing, they lead with some sort of offer that would give you an incentive to go with them. But the incentive, quote, was kind of non-existent. That's the short of it. Yeah. It's a statement we heard echoed by several prominent indie developers and two publishing executives we spoke with for this piece. <clears throat> Quote, It's that there isn't enough money there, one of the publishing execs we spoke with said. The offer was apparently, quote, so low it wasn't even part of the conversation. Untitled Goose Game is a breakout indie hit that debuted on PC and Nintendo Switch, but has since come to Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Its developer, House House, likely received a financial incentive from Nintendo to launch exclusively on the Switch first. Mm. Basically, if you've got a game that's really popping the fuck off, yeah, console developers will be chomping at the bit to get you to release on their platform. Right. They will throw money at you. Yeah. The incentive isn't solely financial, but it's the main part of the equation. Quote, When we're looking at these types of deals, another prominent indie developer said, we're looking at, is this enough money where we have the resources to make what we want? 
Or is this an, an exclusivity deal that gives us security? Each of the people we spoke with, who asked to be granted anonymity due to ongoing employment in the video game industry, echoed this sentiment and said Google simply wasn't offering enough money in addition to several other concerns. Mm. Which is, like, Google has as much fucking money as they could possibly want to throw at all this shit. Yeah. And the idea that they, like, showed up at these indie developers, like, castles, yeah. and offered them nothing, like, offered them, like, pocket change, is right. just idiotic. Like, yeah. you need to know what the market rates are, my guy. We, we don't have enough uh, money to give you very much. Sorry about that. Right. It's like, uh, no, we're not going to develop games for you. Yeah. Sorry. There are platforms you want to be on just because they have an audience and you want to reach that audience, one developer said. That's what Steam is. That's what the Nintendo Switch is. They have big groups on their platforms and you want to be with those groups so they can play your games. Yeah. Simple. But Stadia doesn't have a large audience, at least not yet. So Google must create that incentive for developers. And the people we spoke with said, outside of money, there wasn't much reason to put their games on Stadia. Yeah. So, like, the only other thing... It's like, if you don't have money, you got to have an audience. Yeah. Stadia didn't have money or an audience. Well, they had money. They just apparently weren't giving it to people. I, I don't understand. Yeah. Google, what happened here? What? Why is it so confusing with all these projects? Just... It's like, did you not know? Like... Yeah. Did, were you... Like, you can't have been running out of money. That's yeah. your Google. That's not possible. Exactly. Quote, If you could see yourself getting into a long-term relationship with Google, one developer said, but with Google's history, I don't even know if they're working on Stadia in a year. That wouldn't be something crazy that Google does. It's within the track record. Yeah. So even if they had money, even if they had an audience, people still wouldn't want to work with Google because they might just fucking abandon the project yeah. in a year. There's every reason in the world not to work with Google here. The concern that Google might just give up on Stadia at some point and kill the service, as it has done with so many other services over the years, was repeatedly brought up, unprompted, by every person we spoke with for this piece. Well, I wonder why. I mean, it's not, I mean, when there's examples time and again, like literally like at least four or five episodes of this podcast have already been done on Google projects that they just abandoned. Like, people are well aware of how this stuff works. Why wouldn't it be like the biggest concern? Exactly. Exactly. Google should know they have this reputation. Yeah. They should know who they're talking like and it's the fact that they showed up at these indie developers offices and like so they they did it the first time, right? They're like, "Hey, can we pay you this much money to develop a game for Stadia?" And they said, "No, that's too low." Yeah. They said, "Okay." So they walked to the next castle over the hill. Yeah. They said, "Hey, Will you give us? Will you develop games for Stadia if we give you this much money? No, that's too low. Go away. And they just kept fucking doing that. Yeah, right. Maybe like, raise the like. Are you not going to negotiate? Right. You don't have an audience. You have a bad reputation. The only card you have going for you is paying them a shit ton of money. Right. More than anyone else would pay them. Why not use your greatest strength? Yeah. Like. And if you didn't have the money, why try? Yeah. Like, <laughs> then you have nothing to bargain with. Right. It's like, pour everything into your in-house development. You yeah. come out with a fucking halo. Like, yeah. ah, remember Google Plus? How about Daydream? Or Buzz? Or Inbox? Google is notorious for killing off products and services that don't succeed. Quote, with Google, it's easy to look at them as, well, it's Google. One publishing exec said, if anyone's going to make it work, it's them, but they've failed a ton in the past and walked away from major services. Right. 
When reached for comment, Stadia representative Patrick Sabold said, quote, The publishers and developers we speak with uh, regularly are very supportive and want Stadia to succeed. It's also worth pointing out that not every publisher has announced their games for Stadia so far, and more games will continue to be announced in due course. I like that it's like, you know, okay, I know you've asked a lot of people, but just because you asked them doesn't mean that they don't have a game in development for us. And what? and the earlier comment of like, the fuck was it? It was uh, uh, repeatedly brought up unprompted by every person we spoke with. Every person. So they're basically saying like, even though they told you they don't have a game with us, maybe they're lying. Right. Why would they do that? Why would, why would, why would they keep that a secret, Google? Yeah. Don't you want that marketing? Yeah. Uh, and I love the... The publishers and developers you speak with regularly are very supportive, and it's like, no, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's like, I'm sure they want Stadia to succeed, but it's like, you need to pay them for yeah. their labor, my guy. It's also worth pointing out that not every publisher has announced games for Stadia so far, and more games will continue to be announced in due course. Again, with the quibby shit of like, we've got 100 games in the pipeline and 500 in October. <laughs> Like, that's nice, but your current content sucks. Right. Why would I be excited about more content? I don't want to buy it now. I won't pay attention to what you have to buy in the future. Yeah, right. Why didn't you just release it in the future when it was good and worth buying? He also went over a list of all, major, of all the major publishers Google was working with, including major companies like EA, Bethesda, Ubisoft, 2K Games, and Rockstar Games. But the vast majority of indie hits aren't published by these massive publishers. EA makes and publishes Madden and FIFA. Bethesda makes and publishes Doom and Elder Scrolls. Ubisoft makes and publishes Assassin's Creed and Ghost Recon. All of these are so-called AAA blockbusters, the video game equivalent of major film blockbuster series like Transformers or Fast and the Furious. Several indies show up on that list of upcoming games, including Superhot and several SteamWorld games, but many others are still missing. The absence of these games at launch of Stadia last November, and their continued absence in the ensuing months, speaks to Google's inability to attract developers ahead of launch. Quote, it wasn't just a financial thing, one developer told me, who decided not to publish on Stadia. Quote, at the end of the day, I'm asking the question, why would I do this? And there's no positive reason to move forward. There wasn't really anything to want us to get in the door other than to be the first on the platform. Again, from Alex Walker for, Ko for Kotaku. So, same author, post-release. Great. In a world where the coronavirus has kept most people locked inside, willingly, or out of fear, you'd think it's a great time for a gaming streaming service. But ever since launching last year, Google Stadia has continually failed to win customers over. And as their latest Kinect shows, it's looking more and more likely that the project will be shut down. <laughs> the title of this article is Everything About Google Stadia Seems Shockingly Bad. <laughs> Despite Google being one of the few companies in the world with the infrastructure and technical know-how to make a cloud gaming service work, skepticism around Google Stadia has been rife from the start. Not long after the service launched, Stadia's value proposition remained unclear. Even for users in the best-case scenario, gigabit fiber, easy access to Google servers, and the kind of environment where streaming works well, Google couldn't answer the one question that mattered. Why should users pay twice to access the games they want to play just so they can stream them? Right. Who exactly does Google think is out there wanting to play video games until they launch on Stadia instead of just buying them and playing them in the million other ways available? Yeah. Hell, the launch lineup was so threadbare that Google nearly doubled the Stadia library 48 hours from when the service went live. <laughs> You can't do that, guys. Uh, it's pathetic. 
And, just as importantly, who would sign up for Stadia's subscription service with so few games? Yeah. The pro subscription to, uh, to date features a total of 20 games, the most prominent of which were Destiny 2, Grid, SteamWorld Quest, Hand of Gilgamesh, Superhot, and PUBG. It's vastly behind the hundreds of games available on a service like Xbox Game Pass. Worse, users still have to pay full price for anything outside of the free Stadia Pro games. The 10 US dollar Stadia Pro subscription doesn't even provide a discount the way Xbox and PlayStation subscriptions do. The service isn't available in Australia, so I'll be referring to the US pricing. Having access to content is the one thing that sells not only consoles, but an ecosystem. That's especially true in the climate of a global pandemic, and the worst recession since the Great Depression, an environment that, normally, would benefit a service like Stadia. Stadia's entire value argument is removing the expensive barrier of entry that buying PC or console hardware offers. So their whole thing is like, hey, you don't have to buy a big expensive box, yeah, and you don't have to buy like a big fancy TV, even though you probably already have one, right? Except uh, you have to pay uh, like for any of the games to be playable, you have to have Google Gigabit Internet, right? And uh, you have to pay the ten dollar a month subscription fee, and you have to rebuy any games that you want to play on Stadia, yeah. So uh, it's just super fucking expensive, yeah. Also, and if you if you join our subscription service, you still have to pay full price for everything. Okay, Google. It's like nice try. I, that's literally what Quibi did. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. Thanks, Quibi. But it means absolutely bugger if there's no content when you get there. On Wednesday morning Australian time, Google finally unveiled the next uh, tranche of titles coming to Stadia as well as the release of long-overdue features like Crowdplay, one of the original things that Stadia was announced with. Yeah. Crowdplay was one of Stadia's key features. The ability to immediately join a streamer's game is something that appeals to a lot of communities. It makes sense for how video games function in 2020. But, remarkably, Google opted to showcase this feature, originally announced before Stadia's launch last year, with Super Bomberman R Online. Don't know if you know, but yeah. Super Bomberman R is for the Nintendo 64. Okay. So Interesting. really showing off Google's, like, the Stadia's graphical capabilities with a game that has 10 polygons. Yeah. Ugh. Even with a 64 Battle Royale option, which sounds like an absolute goddamn nightmare, <laughs> given what eight-player games of Bomberman are like, nobody would ever accuse Bomberman R online of being a killer app, a game yeah. you'd sign up for Stadia to play. Yeah. Yeah, your killer app needs to be something like Halo or Pokemon right. or Super Mario Brothers. Right. Like shit that your grandma would recognize as a video game. Yeah, exactly. Your grandmother does not know about Super Bomberman R. If she does, please let us know. Yeah. Write to us. <laughs> Genuinely do. Go I want everyone listening to this to like call up your grandma right now and ask her if she knows what Super Bomberman R is. <laughs> If anyone does and you can prove it, you'll win an all-expense paid trip I, to uh, come visit us and have a dinner with us and candlelit romantic dinner. We'll have, we'll have a big turkey and yeah. eat it with a big fork. <laughs> no sauce. No, nothing on the side. Just turkey and glasses of water. This is your <laughs> water. To wash down the turkey. Why is the, like, water is so... Just plain water is the most insulting part of that. Like, not... Not even the stereotypical wine, it's just water. There's yeah. no ice. It's lukewarm. Yeah.
You get room temperature tap water. Yeah. And you, you aren't allowed to talk to us. We just sit around a table and we eat a giant turkey together. And you go the fuck home and, and we leave. don't talk to you again. That's your reward yeah. <laughs> for if your grandmother knows what Super Bomberman R is. And that's what this podcast is all about. Well, we brought it full circle. <laughs> Joke complete. <laughs> and it's not like the Stadia Connect was filled with huge surprises elsewhere. Yeah. Like, that was their ace in the... Super Bomberman R was their ace in the hole. Oh, you're uh, skeptical about uh, Google Stadia? Well, check this the fuck out! <laughs> you did... You just did exactly the same thing that the Peggle 2 guy did. <laughs> oh my god, okay. There's this, there's this famous clip of a... Uh, like, so, okay. Game conventions are famous for being the most, like, uber-hyped, overproduced, like... Yeah like fucking raw things like the just the craziest fucking events for the stupidest things yeah and there's this famous clip of a guy getting up on stage and there's like smoke and like green lasers and like there's like a thundering guitar track like a dun 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 and he's like that's right we're releasing Peggle two, and he like does like a leaping fist bump for like a phone, like a, a pop cap phone game, like the <laughs> sequel to a pop cap phone game from before smartphones were invented. Right. This is like the sequel to a game that you play on Palm Pilots. Right. <laughs> Peggle two. Just gotta hype everything up and all that seem more exciting. Super bomber man R. Yeah. My dick is hard and wet. Ah, <laughs> oh. and it's not like the Stadia Connect was filled with huge surprises elsewhere. Fans and subscribers have already had to deal with <clears throat> dead silence from Stadia months after its release, a lack of public a lack of a public roadmap, paying for games that disappeared literally two weeks later. It's always reassuring. Mm wonderful like wow it's the thing that ev- literally everyone was extremely worried about it happened yeah right golly fucking g batman <laughs> why did you laugh at that no i was just thinking i don't even remember what it was from it's from show some show i watched where they're like you're talking about batman and they're like <laughs> they're like oh batman's been really busy beating up poor people and it just made me laugh <laughs> I just think it's funny that, like, Batman only beats up poor people. I never really realized does that. He, does, is that a thing? Well, I mean, he mostly, maybe in not all the iterations, but some of them, he mostly just deals with, like, low-level criminals. Right. But it's just like, it's like, come on, this dude is, like, poor. Like, don't, like, beat him up. Right. Like, if there's any use for Batman that's, like, really useful, it's, like, beat up, like, corporate criminals and stuff. Right, like, right. There's enough problems with, like, I don't know. Uh, no, no. Okay, okay. Paying for games that disappeared literally weeks later, games that required two phones to properly play, no proper voice functionality or chat for multiplayer games, which is pretty fucking important for multiplayer games to be able to interact with the other fucking players, no sense of community, and bizarre ads straight from the MySpace era of internet humor. They're like... I, I didn't really have a chance to sit through... Like, I could only find the one, but it was like this weird... It was like Invader Zim humor. What is the MySpace era of internet humor? Like, what defines that? It, it's it's literally just saying shit like... Like, El, like LMAO random waffles XD. Like... Yeah. It's... it's, it's 
remember Fred? Yeah. That's that's MySpace humor. Okay. For those users, the announcement of orcs of uh, <laughs> the announcement of orcs. The announcement of orcs must die. Three. One hand clapping. Outcasters and Sekiro shatters, shadows die twice. Simply wasn't going to cut it. Which, like, I mean, that's a legitimate criticism, but I straight up bought a PlayStation... I straight up bought a PlayStation 4 just to play Bloodborne. Yeah. And I am entirely happy with that experience. Like, uh, uh, Bloodborne and Sekiro are made by the same... Right. Like, I love FromSoft so much. A PlayStation... A PlayStation 4 cost me, like, $600. Yeah. And then Bloodborne cost me an additional 60 Yeah. I don't own any other PlayStation 4 games. Right. I paid I paid $660 to play Bloodborne, and it has been worth every fucking penny. But would you have signed up for Google Stadia just to play Bloodborne? No! Right. That's an important distinction. I would not subscribe to Bloodborne. Right. At least not for long. Yeah. A popular thread on the official Stadia subreddit sums the reaction nicely. Quote, What we wanted was a vision into the future. New features, new countries, news about what is coming, extended support of the current device, like how mobile today is seriously behind. The thread says, We got none of that. We got games we already knew were coming. We got one or two older surprise games. Lots of small indie stuff. I knew we wouldn't have much, but this is next to nothing. Even the pricing is astonishingly tone-deaf, charging uh, $60 for Sekiro on Stadia when it launches later this year, well after its release on every other platform. <laughs> Sekiro was a year old by this point. <laughs> is biz- <laughs> Well after its release on every other platform is bizarre when the game is already being discounted under $60 digitally on PC. And once the big spring-slash-holiday sales arrive, that price will drop even further. Yeah. Almost criminally, the reaction of some users highlighted one of Stadia's biggest problems. Google hasn't been vocal enough about the Stadia, even when they have something to reveal. The big games that people might want, like Cyberpunk 2077 or the reworked Mafia, still don't have a release date. Cyberpunk 2077 was mentioned directly in the Kinect, but all that was said was, you can play Cyberpunk the second it launches on Stadia. It'll come out when it comes out. Right. No word about the things gamers actually want to know, like when Cyberpunk 2077 is actually launching on the Google platform, and what features it might have to make Cyberpunk worth playing on the Google platform versus the other services. And it's no surprise that Stadia's library is so threadbare. Developers repeatedly complained about Stadia earlier this year to Business Insider, accusing Google of being stingy when negotiating exclusives and content deals. Apart from the bigger user base on existing platforms and consoles, there just wasn't enough of a compelling reason for developers to take Google's gamble. Stadia's taken hits from big names in the industry as well. Take Two CEO Strauss Zelnick, quote, felt good about Stadia's launch last year and said Google has been, quote, exceedingly helpful. We feel very good about the opportunity. It remains to be seen how the platform works. They're awfully talented and they're very, very committed, Zelnick told investors on a conference call last year. Fast forward almost a year and Zelnick's tone has changed markedly. Quote, I think there was some overpromising on what the technology could deliver, he said, according to GameSpot. Yeah. Quote, the belief that streaming was going to be the transformative, was going to be transformative, was based on a view that there were loads of people who already had an interest in interactive entertainment, really wanted to pay for it, but just didn't have a console, Zelnick said. I'm not sure that turned out to be the case. Yeah. 
because that was what Google was banking on. It's yeah. like they were trying to tap into this this untapped market of people that don't own that like they they desperately want to play the hardcore video game that is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, yeah. but they don't have a gaming PC or they don't have a video game console. Right. But it seems like a flawed premise. It's well because the the truly insulting thing is like the fact that you have to pay a ten dollar a month subscription to it, yeah, as well as rebuy the game, right? It's like okay, great. Like if you can afford this, you can probably afford to save up for a game console anyway. Yeah, like the, this market does not exist, right? Even a scenario that should favor Google Stadia has completely left them in the cold. More publishers have turned to streaming services to hold their preview events after the coronavirus made in-person events largely impossible. It hasn't been a universal thing. Australians were given access to local Cyberpunk 2077 code, while those previewing the game internationally played through GeForce Now. And even in an area where Google Stadia is working with big exclusives, even those titles weren't used as a showcase for Stadia. The most recent was Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Watch Dogs Legion, with Valhalla being one of the few AAA titles launching simultaneously on Google's platform. But instead of showcasing the Stadia tech as a way of safely previewing the game, Ubisoft teamed up with Parsec, a desktop capturing app. Ubisoft's been using Parsec for teams for their remote development, and they opted to use that for live gameplay, even though Ubisoft were trailing their own game streaming service platform last year. Ubisoft CEO Yves Guimont was one of the most vocal supporters of cloud gaming, and previews are all about making the best possible impression, as those drive pre-orders and also have a short-term effect on investors. So it's not exactly the best look that Ubisoft didn't have enough faith in Stadia to use Google's service, let alone their own live streaming tech. Yeah, not, not a great look. So Ubisoft was basically given the option like, hey, do you want it? It's like, so we can't do in-person demos of this game that we're releasing. Yeah. We're ha like, can we use some sort of like remote streamed demo that we can give to fans, like have a sort of e-convention? And then Google had the opportunity to be like, Stadia is literally fucking perfect for this. Like, yeah. This is an ideal situation. And Ubisoft said, you know what, Google, no thanks. We're going to use the screen we're gonna use the screen share software that we've been using for office work. Right. <laughs> They're not even using a gaming thing for it. They're using like a non-gaming uh, it's like they held it over Zoom or something. Yeah, it's, right. It's like, you know, we're 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 good, Google. It's like that is such, like I fucking hate Ubisoft, but that's a fun move. Yeah. <laughs> On top of that, there's still no word on when Stadia will even come out to more countries. Yeah. There's no word on when more games will get Stream Connect, a feature Stadia added to Ghost Recon Breakpoint, one of the worst releases of last year. <laughs> a game that flopped so badly, Ubisoft CEO publicly apologized. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Imagine having a movie so bad that the publishing house apologizes. Yeah, that's like unheard of. And this is Ubisoft. They have unashamedly punished some of the worst tripe that game that AAA gaming has ever seen. Right. They published Assassin's Creed Unity, which is like it's a game set. It's a game about assassins set during the French Revolution, mm -hmm. and it's sympathetic towards the bourgeoisie. Like it, it frames the revolutionaries as evil, and it was like not finished on release. Right. Like. It had this famous glitch where people's faces would randomly disappear. Oh no. Like, but it, their faces would dis- like, their- the skin of their faces would disappear, but not their eyes, hair, and mouth. So suddenly it would- somebody would turn around and it would just be like- <laughs> oh, God. 
so scary. Ugh. And <laughs> Ghost Recon Breakpoint was so bad that you that Ubisoft CEO apologi- felt the need to apologize. Right. We still don't know more about the potential integrations with YouTube streaming, something that you think would have been Stadia's biggest selling point, given how much gaming content dominates YouTube, a right. service owned by Google. Yeah, I was going to say. It all feeds into Stadia's biggest issue. Google has a service supposedly ideal for not only a sub-segment of gamers, but one that can grow the gaming pie well beyond that. But Google has never actually demonstrated that they understand what gamers, current, lapsed, or yet to experience the medium actually want. Google might be eyeing the potential market with gaming, but if they need Stadia to work, they have to convince current gamers that Stadia is worth it. Yeah. And that's the worst part. Google hasn't established a value argument that would convince users why a Stadia subscription would be worth it. (laughs) Stadia's biggest strength right now is the Google name, not Stadia's potential, or any innovation the service provides. But the fact that everyone knows Google has more money than most countries on the planet and theoretically should be able to fund the acquisition and investment needed to make Stadia work. Right. It is a useful attribute when announcing a service, but it, it is a shocking look for Google almost a year later after Stadia has been operating. Right. Quote, There's only so many times you can say you're just getting started and not have much to show for it, one user complained. If Stadia can't get it right amidst a combination of global circumstances that overwhelmingly favor not only gaming, but streaming services and services they have a low cost to access, when will they? That is where we will leave this episode. Brutal. It's just that it's also funny that uh, the circumstances are ripe for this, this service to explode right Literally now. Literally perfect. The, ex- the perfect timing. Global pandemic. Everyone's at home. They need form- new forms of entertainment. Why can't they get their shit together? Why can't they invest more into this? It's and it's like they it's it is as if they simply chose not to. Right. Which is baffling to me. It's like you could totally see a more adroit Google. Like they're competing with Twitch right now with the YouTube streaming thing. Yeah. You could totally see a more adroit Google doing like a big crossover pr- like you get you 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 spend a bunch of money to buy up some Twitch streamers, get them in exclusivity deals with YouTube streaming, you get them all like you form a nice little community you give news about Stadia out through the streamers, yeah. right? You turn it into like a community thing that everyone gets excited for. You let them test it. Right. You let them, you let the professional fucking gamers give you feedback on what this product should be. Yeah. And then you release it all as like a big collaborative thing. It's YouTube, it's streaming, it's gaming, it's all in one place and it all blends seamlessly together. Yeah. And if it worked, it would blow the gaming industry out of the fucking water. It yeah. would turn them it would have turned them into a titan. Yeah. And I don't I you know what I think it is? If you are a person that can work at Google, you are good with computers, obviously. Mm-hmm. You are a software designer. Yeah. You're you're good with computer architecture. Yeah. However, if you have the skills to work at Google and you are a gamer or you like video games, you don't work at Google. You mm-hmm. work at FromSoft. You work at you know, you work at Nintendo. Yeah. You work at games. Yeah. If you're not into games and you're just into software, you go to work at Google. Yeah. And I'm thinking that Stadia is basically a game console concept idea marketing niche 
by software designers looking at game game culture from the outside. Yeah, and I mean, you can't you can't build a game service on that premise. Uh, market fucking analytics. Yeah, like you have to know your market. Yeah, just like I don't even I don't even have confidence that they'll even try in any more. They're just like fuck it, we'll move on to the next thing. I like. I actually literally didn't even bother to check if Stadia is even still a thing. Right. Like, can you get it right now? I'm going to Google it right the fuck now. Apparently, okay, yeah, there's been some minor developments. Like, it's still a thing. Okay, I literally Googled, is Stadia still a thing? Yeah. And what, what came up was an image of the Stadia controller and this paragraph. Quote, not much has changed in the ensuing months, except now it's free-ish. Kind of. Google has announced this morning that it's no longer restricting Stadia to those who bought the 130 Founders Edition hardware kit. That was back in April of 2020. Okay. Here. Is Stadia good now? A strong internet and a connection and a big data cap. There's no doubt Google Stadia has a ton of benefits. You can play it on... Yeah. No, it's still a fucking flop. Yeah. Well... It's it's still not playable unless you have the, the crazy Google internet. Yeah. Well, I suspected as much. What a shame. Yeah. I don't know. Well, what what else is there to say? Another one for the pile, Google. I mean, we like we could just this this podcast could just be like the Google failed project podcast. We we can't just talk about Google because it it literally just becomes the same shit well, yeah, over it, and over again. It's depressing too because it's like you have so much potential and you're like pushing competitors out, but then you're not even like investing the proper. It makes like, me so mad. Yeah, it's like you have the resources. Like, if you had just done this, it's like they're not trying, yeah. you know? It's like they, they got super excited about this cool new technology, like this fun toy to play with, and they spent millions of dollars developing the shit and yeah. selling it, but it's like they didn't, it's like, it's like their heart wasn't in it. They didn't actually, there was no passion for it. They didn't care. Yeah. It's like, why spend all this money and time, like, pretending to be a game developer? Like, yeah. if, you're, if you're just not going to fucking do it, like, if you're not going to put in the legwork. They just want to be Google everything, and they just want to have all their fingers and all the pies, and, but, like, as soon as it gets hard, then they just leave. Because, like, they just want easy successes, like... I don't even know if it's that. I don't even know if they want easy successes. I think it's just, like, they, they've given Google... Like, Google has that whole thing of, like, we set aside 20% of our profits and we just do whatever the fuck we want with yeah. it. Like, like, you shouldn't just waste it. Yeah. Like, that's, that, you have to use that seed money for shit that you're really passionate about. That right. you, like, really, it's like, I really think this could work. Now that I have this, it's like answering that question of, like, what would you do with a billion dollars? Yeah. Right? Like, if, if you had infinite money and could do, could change one thing about the world. Yeah. Like, it would have to be something that you're incredibly passionate about. Right. Or you fundamentally understand a product market fit that no one else does. Like, you, you understand that I am perfectly poised to solve a specific problem that right. that I recognize. Like, I don't think they understood what their service, what need their service was truly filling. Yeah. And if that need even existed. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, you're, you're totally right. It comes down to the, uh, the whole market that they were aiming for was like these people that want to play AAA games can't afford or don't want to buy the fancy hardware. Yeah. But they made the service so expensive that it's effectively just buying the fancy hardware anyway. Right. And they probably already have some version of the hardware anyway. Right. Most people have 
a computer, yeah. a TV, a phone, or something. Right. And a lot of people have Switches or Playstations right. or Xboxes. Exactly. It's like, and that's the other thing. It's like that that niche of like people who don't want to buy the fancy hardware. It's like Switches are com- Switches are very cheap comparatively. Right. Like yeah. a fucking PlayStation 5, PlayStation 5 is like $500. Yeah. Like a, a Switch is only like 250 Right. And that's the that's the nice one. You can get the the downgraded one for like 120 or something. Yeah. I mean, it's not if you if you want to play video games, you can save up and buy one of these consoles. Right. It's not that cra- I mean, it's expensive, but you know, it's worth it most of the time because they last a while. Right. But is it worth is it worth paying $60 for games on top of a $10 a month subscription? Yeah, exactly. To something that you might not even be able to play. Right. Which will probably be like they can just pull at any time, and they have done that for other right. Things. Something that they can, will, and have pulled at any time. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, all right. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks, Google, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> we can't legally say that Google is not sponsoring this episode. Well, thanks, Google in general, for all you do. Thanks for yeah providing this episode. Yeah, that's true. We um, couldn't have done it without you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. We love you. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter at D-A-O-C-Cast, Instagram at Desperate Acts of Capitalism, and Tumblr at DesperateActsOfCapitalism.tumblr.com. And remember, next week's episode is up right this moment on our Patreon. Join us there for bonus content, including an entire second podcast, Business Desserts, where Evan and I talk about current business news and whatever we feel like talking about that week. And thank you so much for listening. We love you. Big things are coming.